Today's episode is about becoming a single mother by choice, but it can apply to anybody who's becoming a single parent, or if you have a friend or family member who's thinking about becoming a single parent, you can listen to it too, because there is so much information that applies to everyone. Kat Curtin is the incoming president for Single Mothers by Choice, and she is a wealth of information. She will share with you so much of what you need to know when you start the process as you going through it. She's experienced loss. She's experienced surrogacy. She's experienced so much. And now she is very happy with her beautiful daughter and a partner, believe it or not. So yes, there is life after single parenthood. I think there's so much for you to gain by listening to this episode. I really think that you will enjoy it and get a lot out of it. So please pull up a chair and take a listen. Welcome to Donor Conception Conversations. This is the one podcast created exclusively for people who are planning to use donor conception to build their family or for people who have already built their family with donor conception. I'm your host. My name is Lisa Schumann. I'm a researcher, a therapist, and an expert in donor conception. And over my more than two decades of experience working both in fertility clinics and in my private practice, the Center for Family Building, I've met with thousands of donor-conceived individuals, children, recipients, and donors. And I've learned so much, and I'm here to teach you all that I've learned in this podcast. My guests and I will talk about everything that you need to know to have a better journey to parenthood. If it's about donor conception, we're going to talk about it. And today, I have a special guest. Her name is Kat Curtin. She is the executive director of Single Mothers by Choice. Jane Mattis, who's been on this show previously, is stepping down and Kat is taking over. She is also running her own coaching group called Journey Concierge Coaching. I had to get that right. So she does also individual and group consulting and is really happy to be on the podcast with me today to talk to you a little bit about her journey and also about single mothers by choice and some of the things that'll be really helpful to know as you approach or think about approaching single parenthood. So welcome, Kat. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. So could we start a little bit with your story, how you decided to become a single mother by choice, because I think you have a little something for everyone. You've been through so much. Yeah. So I'll start with explaining how and why I took this path, and then we can get into what the path ended up entailing. So, you know, for me, I started relatively young down this path. I was 30 years old and really knew that I wanted to be a mother. And one thing that was a little bit weighing on me was that I have um, PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. It's one of the leading causes of infertility. And as I was dating, dating started to not be fun because I started to have this time clock of like, okay, you know, by the time I'm 35, I want to have a child. And I felt a real sense of freedom when I decided to decouple those two things, the dating and having the baby and decided I can be a single mother by myself and a relationship can come later if it comes and it doesn't have to be in that certain order. And I think for me, it gave me both a freedom in, to pursue what I really wanted to because I knew that I would be perfectly okay if I was a mother and didn't have a partner 
but not the other way around. And I really knew that if and when, which I did later meet him, we'll get to that, I met my partner. I didn't want to be in a position where I was wondering if I had started earlier, would the outcome have been different? If I had not waited and, you know, started earlier, would, you know, I have better egg quality? And I couldn't, and I knew that I wouldn't be able to live with that potential regret. I wanted to take everything that was within my control in the journey and keep time on my side. And so really, once I was able to figure out exactly what I truly wanted, it was really easy for me to separate the two and be excited about becoming a single mother. And it also made dating more fun and easier. So that was Mm -hmm. um, a nice side effect. Great. You decide to embark on this journey. Now, this was several years ago, so things were very different. You'll explain a little bit about that. But I guess the first step is you had to choose a clinic, choose a sperm donor, and get started there, right? You th- At that point, your eggs were still in good shape. And so you thought, okay, I just need a sperm donor at this point, and I need a good clinic. And so what happened then? Yeah. So actually, the first thing that I did was I knew that I needed to build some support around this journey. So actually, the first mm-hmm. thing that I did was read a bunch of books, one of which was James Mattis's book on single mother by choice. And I joined single mothers by choice as a thinker for like a hot second. I think my first meeting was August 6th of 2014. And then I had my clinic appointment on September 11th of 2014. I think for me, seeing other female, like it was this dream of mine, but being able to see other females you know, taking the train with their twins in their hands and, you know, being fine with it. I really, they say like a picture is a thousand words. And when you actually see that, it brings to life, like if they can do it, I can do it too. So that was the final part of my, you know, like the confidence that it gave me to say, I am going to make this, you know, appointment with the clinic. I'm going to be able to do this. And so from there, you kind of started to give it. I did my first consultation. Things were looking pretty promising. Kate, I just, I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you. I just want to step back for one second. Just as sure. we're getting into the clinic, we're leaving the research part of it. You said that you were a thinker. Can you explain to the audience what that means? Yeah. So thinking is kind of when you're in this period where you think you want to be a single mother by choice, but there's a lot of components of that. Like just because I knew. I want it to be a mother. There's a million things that you have to consider. Can I financially do this? Do I really know what life is going to be like day to day? You know, can I do it alone? What is my support system going to look like? So it's kind of taking this dream and figuring out if it fits with the reality of what you're able to do and what you want your life to be like. And so a lot of people can spend an enormous amount of time. So even though I joined the meeting and like a month later, I had done it, I actually had started thinking about it when I was 30 years old. So kind of three years of kind of in the back of my mind, then getting more serious, then really starting to think about it. And so that's the phase before you move into deciding, I'm going to now try, I'm going to try to conceive and I'm going to do active, you know, fertility treatments to make this happen. And in single mothers by choice, you have these options, right? Of having there are three categories of groups that you can join. Yeah. So you have thinkers, um, triers, pregnant, and then also those who are mothering. So it gives it's a community for the full spectrum 
of the path to single motherhood. That's great. And it's really helpful for people to know that, that you can go into any one of these groups. So you don't have to join single mothers by choice just because you're a single mom. You can be in any of these phases or in between and just start to, to consider it and talk to other people before you start in this path. So just as an aside. And that's one of the most valuable parts of it because you can see people at stages ahead of you. and. Mm-hmm. Then also the people at the other stages are really excited to pay it forward um, in the way that they, when they were a thinker or a trier, to come back and, you know, explain, this is what I did. This is what worked for me. Or I, you can really empathize with what you're going through and share their stories. So having nice. that mix of everyone together really helps, one, if you're at the end of your journey to really remember wow, this was hard. And I'm so glad that I ended up at the, you know, at the finish Mm -hmm. line of achieving my goal and the people who are just starting feeling that inspiration on, you know, what can sometimes be a long journey and is, Mm -hmm. um, you know, emotionally, physically, financially draining at times. So to see that inspiration and have people taking the same path that you're thinking of taking is kind of invaluable. Yeah, must be amazing. So then you move from kind of a thinker part of your life to a trier, meaning that you then started pursuing fertility treatment. Yeah. So I did my consultation and it was pretty much like, let's, you know, move forward when when you're ready. And I was like, I'm ready. And so the first step was choosing my sperm donor. We can talk about how I did that um, after we get mm-hmm. through the journey if you're interested. But basically, in short, because it's a long journey, so I'll just give you the cliff notes. I did four IUIs. The first one actually resulted in a chemical pregnancy, which I remember being really actually excited about, which seems kind of silly because they tell you, like, this is not going to come to fruition. But I was like, wow, something worked. Like, you know, I really was like, you know, maybe this journey is not going to be as long as I thought. But it ended up being a lot longer than I thought. So after the four IUIs, I moved on to IVF and I had a really good retrieval in terms of numbers, but also had ovarian hyperstimulation. And so that means that you really can't do a fresh transfer. And so we froze everything. And then I came back and had um, my frozen embryo transfer, which was successful in that I had two girls. Unfortunately, at six months gestation, I went into premature labor and they mm. were just too small to make it. And so after that, I really felt like I... Horrible. It was definitely a really horrible time. One of the things that really gives me peace about it is that I also had undiagnosed preeclampsia, which as many people know it can be a really deadly disease yes. or not, you know, and maybe not a disease, a, a deadly condition. Um, mm-hmm. condition. And I had just been to the doctor that day and they hadn't caught it. And my pregnancy was really terrible. Like I felt sick every single day and I was single and living alone. And I know in my heart of hearts that no matter how bad I started feeling that night that I never would have gone back to the doctor. I would have thought I just saw them today and this is just pregnancy because it was my first time being Mm -hmm. pregnant. And so for me, I know that if my daughters had not been born that day, I don't think that I would have lived. 
And then I would have never Mm. been able to be the mother to the daughter that I have Mm. now. And so a lot of times the way that I think about it is sometimes really terrible things happen. And it doesn't mean that they weren't terrible and horrible, but that they can happen for a reason and a path that, you know, is where you need to go. So that's how I think Mm. about, you know, Mm -hmm. that loss and tragedy. And from then on, what I I really didn't want to be pregnant again, physically, and also the emotional toll that that would take of, you know, of having this anxiety of, you know, a lot of people are like, I want to make it to the three month mark. And, you know, I was like, I'm going to be nervous until the eight month, the nine month, you know, like, like, I I can't do this. Um, And so- that's when I decided to um, pursue surrogacy and I was matched with a fabulous surrogate and she carried my frozen embryo, which was my egg with donor sperm. And she had a beautiful pregnancy. And what was so inspiring about it was that for her, since she wasn't coming from a place of hardship in this, you know, she hadn't had a long path. She was just so excited. Everyone around her, the whole surrogacy agency was just like, this is so great. And it made me look back on my own path and think, you know, how do you bring joy to your own journey in the way that when you, when you say, you know, I'm trying to conceive, people say, that's so amazing that you're going to have a baby. And when you say I'm doing fertility treatments, you get a lot of, oh, I'm so sorry for you. And what you're really saying in both of those situations is I'm going to, I'm trying to have a baby. And so seeing my surrogate go through the same frozen embryo transfers and the same journey, but in a light of, you know, pure excitement was really inspiring for me. And then ultimately Mm. Nora, my daughter was born in Colorado and we flew over there and got to meet her. And now she is a completely healthy and um, adventurous and sometimes challenging four-year-old. <laughs> so Wonderful. What a nice story. So Kat, tell us a little bit about, since this is about donor conception and it is hard, I think it's hard for everyone to choose a donor, but certainly if you're a single mom, right, mm-hmm. you don't have, or single mother by choice, you're not in the, you might have friends, family, but it's not like you have a partner that you're sharing this journey with that you're both kind of playing off of or trying to figure out ideas with or searching the database with. It's a different sort of experience when you're pursuing this by yourself and trying to make this decision on your own. So tell us a little bit about that decision. So for me, I totally didn't do it on my own. So mm-hmm. what I did was okay. I definitely looked through the databases. I looked through medical information, read like writing about themselves, listened to them talking and kind of narrowed with the help of one of my really good friends, narrowed it down to 10 potential donors that I thought would be a good fit. And then I threw a choose my baby daddy party. <laughs> And I invited friends from each kind of stage of my life, like a grammar school friend, high school friend, college friends, like um, my sister. And it was really kind of tongue in cheek. Like we had like, you know, like baby carrots and like, you know, like crazy wine. And I put the profiles up on my like big screen TV. And like, you know, we went through them. Mm hmm. Everybody voted like on what they thought 
you know, my donor should be. And what was interesting is across everyone, two of the donors were in everyone's top three. And they happen to be also like secretly my like top players and bringing in a bunch of people to help me really made it feel like I wasn't alone. And it also brought in this community of people from the very beginning who felt an attachment to this. And then what I ultimately Mm. ended up doing was I took those two donors, I bought both of the sperm and I alternated my treatments using them because I wanted to also leave it a little bit up to fate of, you know, both of these donors are great fits and the first IUI will be with one and the second IUI will be with another. And it was actually really fun because I didn't, you know, tell what order I was doing it. So those friends were kind of remembering the pictures and being like, is it donor one or donor two? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so for me, having, being really open about my journey, talking about it from the beginning, was really essential to building a support system around me so that I really never felt alone in it. And I took something that can be a nail biting, like, you know, like make a million binders and, you know, compare a bunch of stats and really just not know, you know, like what is the perfect donor Mm -hmm. for me and, you know, made it into kind of a joyful experience. And that's a very popular thing to do these days is having these you know, choose my baby donor party. And so I guess you were a pioneer there, Kat. Apparently. um, When I first (laughs) said that I was going to do it, my family was like, this is kind of insane. And I was like, no, it's going to be great. (laughs) And it was. Did you ever get any pushback from family and friends about people discouraging you or telling you they didn't think you can do it? And how did you handle that? Yeah, there was definitely some concerns. Like, I think I got a lot of like, you're young, you can still meet someone like, you know, this push of like, what some people will call plan A is, you know, better, like, you know, like, just give yourself time and you'll meet someone and, you know, maybe they weren't really hearing that that wasn't my goal anymore. That And someone did tell me that, they, that if I did this, I would never meet anyone, no one would ever date me, like, you know, that this idea mm. that if I you know, did this, that I could then have a partner was, you know, kind of crazy. And I think when, you know, when that happens, you just have to realize that they're maybe thinking about their own life and the path that they've taken and that no one can tell the future. You know, no one can tell you like, this is, you're going to be a great single mother by any choice. You're going to be, you know, ecstatic about it. You know, it's going to ruin your life. Like, you know, nobody really can predict what's going to happen. And you have to just be sure in your own decision and evaluate when people that are close to you, you know, say things, what merit is in there, you know, like, because you want to take in feedback and you want to be realistic, but also, you know, making sure that you're staying true to yourself. And the majority of my friends, like 99% of them, when I told them were like, yes, of course, like, this makes total sense. That's wonderful. Yeah, it was. Between my babysitting, taking care of my nieces and nephews, people had seen me just so involved in the lives of like children. They just were like, of mm-hmm. course, this is what you would do. Yeah. And I think that that's a really hard thing for a lot of people because people say, you know, I don't have enough support or I don't have enough money or I don't have 
I'm not young enough. I'm going to be too old. I'm, you know, there's all of these obstacles or I'm not going to meet someone if I do that, you know, all of these obstacles. And it's really hard because not only could you be feeling those things already, but then when you hear the echo of the people around you kind of talking about all of this stuff, it could be really difficult. And I think, you know, on Single Mothers by Choice, I have certainly found it very inspiring to see people from every walk of life, you know, people who have lots of family support, people who have no family support, people who are, you know, can't come to this country as immigrants and their families are very far away, or people who, you know, have jobs as construction workers and other people who have like very high ranking profiles and, you know, some of the bigger firms and work a lot. So there's every kind of person mm-hmm. who does this. And I think it's very inspiring to see that because a lot of the obstacles are really in our framework of what we see motherhood should be. And that is changing. Yeah. And I think for me, once I made the decision, really surrounding myself with the people who supported this decision and believes that this was, you know, not only a viable path and an okay path, but a, you know, but the path that was right for me. And that was a lot of the single mothers by choice groups and the friends that I brought in that I felt, you know, were really supporting me and what I was going to do. Did you have any obstacles in your mind that you had or any hurdles that you had to get over where you thought, well, what about this? thing really scares me about being a single mother by choice. And how did you get past that? I think every mother has those fears, whether you're single or doing it with a partner. There's definitely those days where, and sometimes it's when things go well, you're like, oh, this transfer worked. And then you're like, whoa, what the hell have I done? (laughs) Like, you know, I'm going (laughs) to be a mom, like, I think is a natural reaction, even if you want something really badly to kind of be like, whoa, this is changing my life forever. So there were definitely moments when I would, you know, doubt and question and be like, can I really do this? Like, am I going to be good enough? Is, you know, is my child, you know, having just one parent, am I going to be able to love this child enough to, you know, fill her up as just, you know, a single person? Like definitely those go through your mind. And then I think more on a tangible obstacle was the financial like challenge of this entire mm-hmm. path because I had said I'm I'm like very much of a planner so I had like saved a budget for you know my fertility journey and it was a sizable budget yes <laughs> but well, it, with a surrogate it's very expensive then when you know you've done all the IUIs and at the time my like insurance really didn't cover it was very rare for insurance to cover much of anything in terms of fertility especially if you you know didn't have an infertility diagnosis but you can only have if you've really been trying, been trying. to conceive mm-hmm. with a partner so yes there was no insurance coverage and you know by the time i had done my final IVF transfer, I was really over my budget. And when I started, I had kind of said, like, I'm not going to be one of those people who, you know, goes into debt over this and does like 10 cycles. Like if it's not going to work, like that's like the universe telling you that, you know, it's just not meant to be. Sometimes when you're just so far down the path, you're then like, "Mm, forget about this universe. You know, this is, you know, I'm going to stick and commit to it. So it was really challenging. I did like I think five side jobs. Like I walked dogs, wow. I dog sat, I 
Airbnb'd my apartment while I like slept on like people's couches. Just like it was a crazy time in my life because I really was concerned about entering into single motherhood with like a financial deficit. Like, you know, like I was like, you want to be like prepared for this and okay. And not, you know, going into it with all of this like debt on, on your back in addition to it. So for me, that was a huge obstacle to really figure out, you know, how am I going to be able to continue to proceed on this journey when it was just so expensive. So expensive. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. That's incredible, Kat. That's it was really pretty incredible. insane. <laughs> like, well, I don't know. I mean, insane, it's really about dedication. And, you know, I think it's so important to think that it's really important to pursue your dreams. Mm-hmm. You know, people very often will say, well, you know, the universe doesn't want me to do it. Well, I think the universe wants you to do what you want to do, right? Yeah. And so you really need to pursue it. And it's so easy to get sucked into this fear of, it's not going to work or I don't have enough money or what am I going to do about dating down the road or what if my mother's not happy and, you know, whatever it might be to really get some support around those things so that you can push forward. Mm -hmm. And I I really want to encourage people out there to really consider, you know, if you hear Kat's story, I mean, this is really incredible what you've been through. And I think that people, as they hesitate, it could be more difficult because of course, you started young, but as people get older, you probably see a lot of people, both in your group and also in single mothers by choice, who um, need also need donor eggs because mm-hmm. they're usually, you know, in their forties and now they, their eggs are not good. And staying away from that self recrimination and just pursuing it anyway is so important because that self recrimination is not going to help anyone, right? We really need to kind of keep moving ahead. So I think my hat's off to, I think it's fantastic, Kat. Really wonderful. I mean, once you see the outcome, which if she was here today, she would jump on the screen, then you're Uh like, okay, it was all worth it. All Um, worth it. That's great. And what about the dating piece? So lots of people will say, oh, well, you know, if you're a single mom, no one's going to want to go on a date with you. Or what guy is going to want to be with somebody who got pregnant with somebody else's sperm, you know, and how are you ever going to start dating if you're busy with kid stuff? And yet you were able to manage that as well. I've been with my boyfriend now for, we're about to have our three-year anniversary. Wow. It was not what I was like. It wasn't something that I was particularly looking for. It was actually my nanny who was like, oh, like this one, you know, like call that one up, like, you know, trying to pair me up. And he was actually someone that I had dated previously. And I I dated him when I took a year off um, from doing fertility treatment after I had had one of my miscarriages. And I, you know, was like, I'm just going to take a year off to like reset. And so I started dating a bit and I remember kind of, and I hadn't really, I hadn't told, you know, it was like date number two. I hadn't told him like, oh, you know, by the way, I've been on this path. And I, and I remember asking like, so like, how would you feel about dating someone with children? And he was like, 
well, I feel like I'm dating you. And I was like, yes, but what if I just magically had a child? And he was like, mm-hmm. like, you cheated on me? And I was like, no, there's no cheating. Like, you know, it became this like <laughs> ridiculous conversation. And, you know, then I told him what my plans were. And he was like, well, I think that that would be great because I think one of the real challenges with dating someone with children is having to, you know, deal with the previous partner because you're co-parenting, which was, you know, an interesting perspective of like, it could just be us. Um, But ultimately, like we'd only, we were dated for like a few months and I was kind of in this, like, does he like me? Does he not like me? And it was throwing me off my course, basically. Like, you know, like I was like, I need to not date right now because I don't want to go back to thinking about like, it's been a year now. Are we, you know, do we know each other well enough? Should we now have a baby? Mm -hmm. So I did what all, you know, mature people do, which was pick a fight and, you know, cause us to break up and went on with my journey. And then we remained friends and he came and met Nora when she was born, which was when my nanny was like, Oh, I really like this one. And so when COVID happened, I was crazily setting up everything for Nora, like looking at air filters in different classes, creating a little pod of, you know, how to keep socialization and this like group of four kids who are only going to see each other and only go to these classes. And then I sat back and was like, what about me? Like, you know, like, who am I going to see in this isolation? And so I called him up and I was like, hey, do you want to be my COVID boyfriend? And we got back together and it Kind of quick, I would say like six months after that, I was like, I kind of feel like you're not my COVID boyfriend, you're my real boyfriend. (laughs) And kind of the rest is history. And he has an amazing relationship with Nora, my daughter. And, you know, in a lot of ways, that's been maybe the hardest part for me. People always are like, oh, well, that's the dream. You got the partner and you have the baby. And I think for me, figuring out how to co-parent when you have so steadfastly planned this on your own and have been making all of the decisions and finding that balance between that. Mm. So I think it's really, you know, great that we've expanded our family, but it's also not the holy grail that people kind of tend to think like, oh, you know, you got plan A because I was really happy with plan B. And this is kind of plan C that we're navigating all over again. So it's kind of funny what life throws you. And I think the big difference for me with dating after I had a child was that you filter out people really quickly, maybe in a way that you should date before you have children where, you know, but I think there's this mother thing that happens where you're like, oh, that's not good enough for my child, like eliminate, eliminate in a way that would have been better to date when I was younger, like to have that same level of expectations for myself as I have for my daughter. But I think that that perspective changes where, you know, and you look at someone and you're like, are they someone that I would want my child to see me being with? And and also when you tell them your path, they can also self-filter themselves. So it just makes everything a lot more clearer, at least for me, in the dating spectrum Mm. and took a lot of that pressure off. That's so interesting. So in a way, it's almost better or maybe a little bit easier to date when you have this child because you're thinking about things. Maybe you're not thinking, oh, is he tall enough? Or do I like his eyes? You're really thinking about, is this 
man going to be able to have the right value system to help me co-parent my child, right? It's almost like you're the most important things to come into stark focus because yeah. now you have this child and those things are much more important than maybe just kind of the fun dating things that you would have thought about in your 20s. Yeah. And I think it also completely removes that time pressure that so many females feel, you know, like that they're dating and they're like, okay, now I'm 32, now I'm 35, now I'm 40. Do I wait? And for me, I already had my child. And so it was fine whenever the person happened to come or didn't come. And it was, it allowed us to really navigate our relationship in a way that was kind of just fun and not stressful. Like there wasn't this like, okay, do I know you well enough? Like for us to take the next step, it was like, we could get to know each other without having a timeline of like, it's been six months and we need another six months. And then when can we broach the subject, which really is kind of in most cases, a recipe for, you know, not the best relationship when you start off with this pressure of, I want this other thing. And you're trying to bring someone quickly into it. So I think what I Mm. hear from a lot of females is that, you know, dating becomes kind of dismal when your focus is less on dating and more on finding the person that can parent your child on the first date. (laughs) So, And how do you move from this place of, I'm a single mother by choice, I'm making all the decisions I'm picking the sperm donor. I'm making a decision about where she goes to school and who she spends time with and if she's going to religious school or not or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of have your mindset in this certain way. And then all of a sudden somebody else comes into the picture and you have to incorporate their perspectives. It's really hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'm sure. I, one of my favorite things about being a single, single mother by choice was that I got to make all the decisions. And I really like to be the one making all the decisions. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that is challenging is letting go of that and realizing giving someone like the like freedom and permission to step up and be an equal parent. And, you know, and I think it's a process that starts like slowly and is really like, about trust. Like I freaked out one night because Marison, who's like a tech person, that Marison is my boyfriend. He was like, Oh, like I changed the hatch light in the room. Cause it, you know, to like this other time. And it's just a little thing, but I was like, oh, you changed her nightlight in the room without consulting me. Like, Oh, this is completely mm-hmm. like, you know, like this is not acceptable. And so I think sometimes you have to kind of check yourself and, you know, decide what are the big things. And for me, Marison and I are really on the same page with a lot of the big stuff. Like what is the right way to, you know, discipline or in our case, not so much a discipline We're more softer parents. I mean, we discipline somewhat, but you know, how do we decide what activities? And I think a lot of the things if I'm you know, being honest, I'm still kind of protective a lot of around the decisions about Nora. And we're still like, we moved in a year ago. And that's been a big transition for me in terms of like, now we're really living in the same household and sharing the duties and in your family, we're really working through it. And I think it's 
one of the hardest parts for me is thinking about how I define family because I had my story set and have been telling Nora the story literally since before she was born. Like, you know, saying like I actually recorded my voice and my surrogate put like the headphones and, you know, and I told her Mm. how much I wanted her and, you know, and how like mommy didn't have a partner. And so I, you know, went and she has all the books about like, you know, donors and and going to the clinic and, you know, this is going to be a mommy and me family. And it's really interesting now to be like, it's a mommy and me family and it'll always be the two of us. But there's, you know, other people in our lives that come and love us too. And so kind of it's really made me think about how do I define, you know, family? And ultimately what I came to is it's the people that love you and are consistent in your life. And so... Nora Mm -hmm. has yet to call Marson her dad. She prefers to call him Marson. But I've recently heard her talking to her preschool friends. Like she'll be like, Marson, my dad is going to pick me up because I think it's hard for another preschool student to understand like Marson, who's not quite my dad because I'm donor conceived when you're four. Mm -hmm. So she kind of Mm -hmm. has started to shorthand it. And it's, and I think that that almost allowing like taking her lead and, you know, realizing when she feels comfortable with him being that dad presence in her life has made me feel like, okay, this is our family. That's beautiful. It's not an easy path, <laughs> but yeah. Not an easy path, but really a beautiful story, Kat. Yeah. And, you know, for everyone out there, I just wanted to say this all sounds like a lot, like Kat's been through so much and she's tried so hard and Now she has such a beautiful story, but she's not alone. There are other people that you can find, you know, on the Single Mothers by Choice group where there are other people who find partners and there are are lots of people who parent alone, one, two kids, sometimes three, who have all different, come from different socioeconomic backgrounds and make it work. So Kat's story sounds really like incredible. But you have to remember that she's not the only person. There are other people out there. You're not alone in this. And it's really helpful to hear Kat's story because she can kind of help you through this process. But there are a lot of people out there who've been through similar journeys. And I just want you to have the, the encouragement that you can do it too. It's been a really rough road, but a, but a beautiful one. And uh, so I really appreciate you sharing your story with us, Kat. It's really fantastic. There's literally thousands of us, like the single mother by choice membership is over 4,000. And those are, you know, only the people that are, you know, have found our organization and have joined them. So your point about, Mm -hmm. well, everybody's journey and story is, you know, unique. There's so many people doing this. It's like, and whenever I share what I've done and, you know, what I'm doing, People are like, I'm really interested in that. You know, maybe I could do that too. Like, you know, it's becoming so much more common than even it was when I started. Absolutely. There's lots of ways to make a family. Yes, there is. (laughs) On that note, we're going to wind down for today. But thank you so much, Kat, for coming on. And thank you all all of you out there for joining us today. Kat, is there a good place for people to reach out to you? Kind of when I've been inspired by this journey and all that I've gone through, 
I've started to work with other females who are single mothers by choice or just going through a fertility journey of their own. So you can reach me either through single mothers by choice. So it's cat at singlemothersbychoice.org or my coaching program. If you're interested in that, it's cat at journeyconcierge.com. And you can visit both of the websites to find out more information either about single mothers by choice or about journey concierge. So There's a ton of resources from the organizations to meet your community, build your tribe and, you know, find out if, you know, this is the right path for how you want to build your own family. Terrific. Terrific. That's great. So thank you so much. And anyone who's out there, please know that these resources are really valuable and really worthwhile uh, joining. Their Single Mothers by Choice has a very inexpensive membership and it's really Mm -hmm. worthwhile. So Take a look, and certainly you can reach out to me as well at familybuilding.net anytime. I'm happy to be there for you. And until next time, please uh, rate this episode and subscribe because that's how we can keep going. And thank you so much for joining. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Lisa. I'm so glad I could share my story today. My pleasure.